Would you open your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that from this place has sounded out the gospel, the glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. All week long, we have prayed in groups as a church and as individuals for our team that was in Texas, for our team that was at Riverside and others soul winning teams sounding out the gospel. We pray that now we will be thankful in heart. We will lift to thee our praise and worship and response to the glorious gospel. We ask you to cleanse us from every sin. O Holy Spirit, do your work of encouragement, comfort, conviction. And may some lost soul come to know Jesus. And somebody who's discouraged along the way be encouraged. And every believer get on the main line of service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're studying through First and Second Thessalonians, and today we come to chapter 3, and I want to go to the verses 11, 12, and 13. We'll come back to other verses later. But in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11, 12, and 13, very briefly to lay on your heart, now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You remember that Paul had only spent three weeks in Thessalonica because of the tumult and the trouble. He had to leave Thessalonica. He went down to Athens. He received a report from Timothy that things were going good. And the early part of this chapter, chapter 3, is the reference to Timothy's report that though Paul only spent three weeks in that city of Thessalonica, he had founded a sound church, and they were growing in the work of God. There was some confusion about the second coming of Christ, but he was going to deal with that in this chapter, in chapter 4, even more seriously. But in these closing verses of chapter 3, it seems to me that Paul is saying something very, very important concerning faith and fruitfulness and fidelity. Notice in verse 11, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Paul had a habit of praying about everything. There was nothing he didn't pray about. And he even prayed for faith. He said one time in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything was by faith. And he says, now I was only in Thessalonica three weeks and I'd really like to come back to you, but I'm going to trust God about that. And I'm praying 
that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, will direct our way unto you, which reminds me that we can pray about everything and pray about anything. Did you pray on your way to church this morning? When you left for work yesterday, did you pray? One of the most remarkable things that has occurred in the ministry of this church is the ministry of prayer. During some of the dark Vietnam War days, we, led, we read a prayer list of military men every Wednesday night in this church. And our people took that seriously and prayed. And I'm so glad to be able to report that not one person that was on that prayer list was killed in battle. We need to pray about everything. Our Texas team last, left last Friday morning at 7.10. <clears throat> I think they were covered by prayer in shifts all through the day and the night until they came to that place by the Rio Grande last Saturday afternoon. They were covered by prayer. Again, Friday they left coming back this way and they were covered by prayer all through the night. People would wake up in the night and pray for our team on the road. God gave them safety. I believe God answers prayer and we need to pray about everything. There's not anything in our lives that we cannot pray about. And one of the great lessons we learned from the Apostle Paul is to pray. Now he had a thankful heart. Sometimes he would say, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Sometimes he'd say, every prayer of mine I make mention of you. He had a prayer petition always going up to the throne of God. It is unimaginable that there's anything in your life you can't pray about. Do you have some bills that you can't pay? Pray about them. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Have you wondered how things are going to work out with certain things that have been on your heart? Just lift them before God. God answers prayer. And so one of the most practical applications from this little passage is the thought Paul was praying that the Lord would direct his path back to Thessalonica. Now as far as we can tell, God never did that. He only visited Thessalonica one time. Which leads us to understand that not every prayer we pray is answered the way we pray it. God knows best. And so we need to condition our prayers, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name according to the will of God. If it is thy will, may this be accomplished. If it is thy will, may this be done. And as we condition our praying in the will of God, then nobody's going to become embittered and cynical and say, well, I prayed for such and such a thing, but it never came to pass. Where is God in all this? You see, that is out of the question in the heart of a man or a woman who knows how to pray. We pray in the will of God. Now secondly, in this passage, look in verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and faith and, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Now this reminds me of his prayer for fruitfulness. Now first of all, pray, Paul prayed in faith that God 
would bring him back to the Thessalonian Christians, and God didn't do that. Have you ever prayed for something that God didn't do? You ever prayed for somebody to be well again and they weren't ever well? You ever had severe pain in your body and you prayed, Lord, deliver me from this pain, and the pain didn't go away, but God gave you the grace to endure it? We can pray about anything. But secondly, the chief object of prayer is fruitfulness. And he said in verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, toward all men, even as we do toward you. In other words, if I never get back to Thessalonica, I want to keep on hearing that you're growing and going in love and spiritual service. Now this is a wonderful truth. And I believe God would have us move in on that truth. Jesus Christ is represented in the Bible as having gone into the house of God on many occasions. He went there to pray. He went there to teach. He went there to share. He went there to heal. And on one occasion, maybe two, he went there to cleanse the temple. He said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. He was concerned about the house of God. In every generation, the people of God have been involved in building and constructing the work of God, the building of God, that it might be fruitful in accomplishing the purpose that God has for it. I've had a thrill in traveling. When I was in high school, you know, they make a will and they say uh, this We leave this will and they make a prophecy. I don't know whether we do that now or not, but they made prophecies of what different people would do. And uh, one of the prophecies, one of my desires was to travel. I like to travel. Uh, Somebody said, to travel is better than to arrive. (laughs) Well, I enjoy traveling. And they prophesied that I would be a world traveler. Well, I haven't done that, but I enjoy traveling. But one of the things that's always been a blessing to me in traveling is to look at the houses of God in different places. One thing I enjoy about Riverside is to look at that old log building and just imagine a hundred years ago people going out in the woods and cutting those big trees and bringing those logs over to that hillside and then putting them in position. And that one building has stood there for a century. I was in Paris and saw the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And as I went down the river, the reflection of that beautiful, beautiful building reflected in the, in the river. And I just was, I loved it. I thought that's beautiful. I've studied the ancient temple of Jerusalem and the money that was spent on that temple. Millions of dollars. I think of, I've thought of the people of God through all the ages who have sacrificed, who have given more than they could give so that the house of God would be beautiful. Amen. To go to the great buildings that have been erected by previous generations is a marvel. Persons have said, we believe and therefore we give and therefore we erect a house to our God whom we worship and the house from which we serve the Lord. Now here at Glendale, we enter into the journeys and faith of people of past generations. 
This summer, we're observing the 35th anniversary of the founding of this church. In the summer of 1955, just a band, a handful of men and women gathered together and said, by the grace of God, we're going to establish a church. On August the 12th, we will commemorate and symbolize once again the anniversary as we launched the 36th year of the founding of this church and the work of this church. But one of the things that's been notable about Glendale Baptist Church has been like someone said in a testimony earlier, we've never had any wealth. And yet God has assigned us terrific responsibilities. A little people with a little strength and perhaps a little influence and little money God said, I have a great big job for you to do. Now you can do it if you want to. Now if you say the job's too big for me, then I'll pass on, get somebody else to do it. But if you'll do it, I have a big job for you to do. And through the years, people have taken God seriously. They've taken that vision seriously. Many have given way beyond their means. Any of us who have been here for a little while remember some victory times in our church. I think of a time of campaign several years ago in the summer when we had a big, big goal to meet. We had a thermometer over there and we gave in the morning service on a certain commitment day and the thermometer went to about here and we prayed and we said, now we're going to continue this tonight. And at the evening service, they counted the offering and it just came to about here. And somebody said, stood up and said, well, I want to give $100 more. Somebody else said, I want to give $50 more. I've got a dollar I'll give. Somebody else said, I'll give 50 cents. Somebody stood up and said, I'll give $500. And do you know before that service was over, that thermometer was up at the top. People gave more than they could. And do you know what, what happened? God blessed. Do you know why our Texas team was able to go to Texas on that bus? It's now, how many years old? 1973 to 1990 is how many years? 18 years old? 17, something like that, 19? (laughs) We call them our new buses, Brother Lee. (laughs) Because anybody who's been here very long remembers the old golden chariots. Broke down every few minutes. But that bus went clear down to Texas, back 1,200 miles each way, and made a victory run for Jesus and was the instrument and the tool God used to take precious people, golden cargo down there along the Rio Grande to rescue some souls as brands from the burning. God did it because in past church generations, a few years ago, people sacrificed to give and give and give so we could have those buses. Now we at Glendale stand there today Somebody's told us already about the Caleb campaign this morning, and they mentioned that uh, we had a rusty old roof up there. I heard about that song, The Rusty Old Halo. I don't think God gets honored by having a rusty old roof. And so by faith, we did something about that. Gutters hanging down. This past week, we had a rain. There was 10 gallons of water in the kitchen. Because the gutters are in bad shape. And the building needs painting and so on. And so you say, well, who, what are we going to do? Let's go to the bank and borrow the money. Well, I guess we could do that, but we've borrowed money in the past. Why not say, 
Hey, God's people, let's by faith abound in grace and love and sacrificial giving. And when we come together next Sunday, let's put a gift on the altar for God that will honor Jesus Christ. Now that's what Paul was praying. Look in verse 12 again. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. You see, we give because we love. I think of that tabernacle that David, that, uh, that Moses constructed in the wilderness. If you'll study the scripture carefully, now, now fasten your seatbelts and listen. That tabernacle that could be lifted up and moved cost $1,500,000. That was how many years ago? Nearly 4,000 years ago. $1,500,000. These forced slaves gave out of their penury with sacrifice. You see, they had just come out of Israel, out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They were wandering through the wilderness. And during that wilderness wandering, the tabernacle was built so they could have a place to worship God. They were not permanent in their place, so they didn't build a temple at that time, but they built this collapsible tabernacle. But now the people are in their homeland. They've come into Canaan. David is the king. He has taken the city of the Jebusites called Jerusalem, and he issues a call for loyalty. And the Bible says in Exodus, the people gave out of a willing heart. And in 1 Chronicles, chapter 22, verse 14, Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a million talents of silver and of bronze and irons beyond weight, for it is an abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add to this. David is saying, I want to offer to God something that's costly. The hour has come for people to dem demonstrate love and loyalty and commitment and sacrifice. And David said, out of my trouble, I'm going to do it. Now, Saul, David had a lot of trouble. One thing I like about the Bible, it gives, it tells it like it is about its heroes. David is one of the heroes of the Bible, the shepherd boy, the one who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that after David lived, all the rest of the generation says there's going to come a king like David. And the Bible even says of Jesus that he will sit on the throne of his father, David. Jesus, pure, perfect, the Lamb of God. What about David? David had sin in his life. David had committed adultery. David had a time of faithlessness in his life. Now he didn't stay down. You see, one of the, one of the evidences that God is in your life is when you get down, you have to get back up. When you fumble the ball, you can't just sit on the bench. You have to get back in the game. And to get back in the game, you have to come to the coach and say, Coach, I was wrong. And I'm sorry, and I want, to, I want to ask you to forgive me. And if I'll get back in the game, I'll do my very best for my team. 
Now that's what a man has to do, a woman has to do, a young person has to do when he's fumbled the ball spiritually. And David did that. He said, Lord, against thee only and thee have I sinned. I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. And God heard his prayer. God cleansed him and forgave him. He got going again for God. And David offered to the Lord a huge offering. You might say that David became chairman of the finance committee. He gathered all the materials for the building of the temple, but God said, now David, you can't build it. Your son Solomon will build it. The temple, now listen to this. The temple in Jerusalem, the original temple, cost $4,313,310,000. You study the scripture and you'll learn that. People everywhere gave out of their love for Jehovah, a love for the building of God, a house of God. And David said, now behold, in my trouble, I will give. I've heard people say, well, you, know, you don't know the trouble I have. You don't know the tough times I've had. Paul said, Lord, I want to pray that you'll make these Thessalonians increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I want to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have had times in your life, you have children, you've had children, You've had times in your life you did not know how you were going to have enough money to clothe your children, to feed them, to send them to school, to have a house they could live in. You didn't see how in the world you could do it. And yet you did it. Is that true? Lord, how in the world could I give more than I'm already giving to the house of God, to the cause of Christ? Lord, increase our love. Do you know why you were able to do that for your children? Because you love them. I, I think of an illustration. I've told you before, and I like it because it happened to me. When I was a young boy, we grew up, we were very poor. And. <clears throat> One day, it was during the Depression years, I was out in the yard and <clears throat> saw a family down the street eating watermelon. We, we never had watermelon. And they were eating watermelon. You, you, you say, well, I can hardly imagine somebody being so poor they couldn't have watermelon. Some of you in this room may have been like that, unless you grew up on a farm. And so I watched them and they went out to the alley and put their rinds in the garbage cans. I walked down the alley. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I walked down the alley, got in the garbage cans, got some of those watermelon rinds, and took them back into our yard, and I started eating them because I wanted some watermelon. Now, my mother saw that, and she did a thing that stands out in my memory. It always will. She didn't call me in and whip me or lecture me or preach at me or fuss at me. She called us all together, five children, and she said, now you don't have to <clears throat> eat out of the garbage cans. And she had, during that depression time, somehow saved some money for a, maybe a rainy day. 
And she got the money and went down to a grocery store and bought a big watermelon and brought it home and cut it in five pieces, not six. She didn't take any. Dad didn't take any. Cut it in five pieces. And she said, now I want each one of you to have a piece of this watermelon. Boys and girls, you don't have to eat out of the garbage cans. I didn't understand it then, but I've learned a lot since then. The reason she did that is because she loved us. How much do you love the house of God? How much does Glendale Baptist Church mean to you? Does it mean enough that we say, Lord, we want those gutters fixed and the roofs fixed and the building painted and we need a van for the outreach ministry. We need to do this so Jesus, next Lord's Day, I'm going to come and offer to God something that costs me something. A sacrificial gift on the altar for God. Last of all, look in verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Paul was praying for fidelity to the cause of Christ. When you take one of those disc records, they used to call them hi-fis, high fidelity. And what that meant was that the sound that was recreated through your phonograph was faithful in a high way to the original sound. For example, a great orchestra playing in Carnegie Hall, one of the great masters of all times, and they would record that, and then they'd put it on a disc, and you'd take it home, And the sound you heard was just as true as the sound that was in Carnegie Hall. It was highly faithful to the original sound. That's fidelity. And that's what Paul is praying for these Thessalonian Christians. That you'll be faithful, unblameable, holy, true to God. God wants us to be faithful in our holiness. If you're saved, if you know the Lord, He wants us to be faithful to Him in holy, godly living. Sometimes Baptists can't hardly take that. We say that's for the Nazarenes, that's for the Holy Rollers, that's for some other group. That's not for us. We'd just be nominal. We want to smoke, we'll smoke. If we want to drink our beer, we'll drink our beer. If we want to stay home on Sunday and play golf or go to the grocery or go shopping, we'll do it. If we want to go out here to one of these restaurants that has a bar in it and have our party there, we'll do it. You can't tell me what to do. No, I can't, but God can. He can talk to your heart. And I'm praying today for God to raise up among God's people at this place, holy people who take God seriously and be true to the original tone that touched our hearts and drew us to Jesus. It all starts by putting your faith in Jesus and trusting Him as your Savior. Have you done that? God help us to do it today. In Jesus' name, may we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the goodness of God. We just love You. 
but we're ashamed we don't love you more. Help us to enter into a love sacrifice that says, Lord, I put my all on the altar for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's our hymn number? 312. Would you turn your songbook, please, to number 312? Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Now the word trust is a, has its background in faith. And beloved, you can't go to heaven without faith. Little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith.